Well, cool. Hey, a lot of great conversation uh, from, from last week uh, uh, about all sorts of different stuff, right? And hopefully in your growth groups, uh, you had really good conversation. I know in, in my growth group that, that, that I'm part of, uh, just amazing conversation and just really pulling out, you know, this, this, this idea of the of of what a holy city uh, means to us and how it impacts our our lives today, and just really uh, exploring the, the the kingdom of heaven and, and all that entails. Just really good stuff. Uh, a lot of you have uh, connected with me personally and other pastors and each other, just asking really good questions. I want to encourage that. Questions are good. Questions. Um, are amazing. And one thing that I know uh, about questions is there is no question that is off limits. There's no question that is too big for God. And, uh, um, you know, there's questions that are definitely too big for me that I just won't know how to answer. But that's one of the beautiful things about uh, serving an infinite God that is uh, beyond our comprehension. So, cool. Keep on asking questions. Keep on having conversation. It is healthy, and it honors God. It's, it's an act of worship. Uh, and if you seek God, you will find Him. So part of the conversations was just about the video, and uh, I believe uh, art, especially good art, uh, uh, elicits a response, and, and, and uh, the video did that. And uh, it's interesting for for some of you, you know, you you definitely uh, caught that that most of the 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 script was just straight, you know, straight plagiarism out of the book of Revelation, right? And uh, and then a few of you caught what the backbeat of the music was, and uh, it confused some of you, like, whoa, you know, how how can you have like Bible stuff in a video, and then that song. Now, for those of you who do not know what that song is, uh, let me unpack it for you a little bit. It's a, it's a song called Rack City, and it is a vile, vile song. Uh, but one of my commitments is uh, that, that I will never unintentionally offend you. There's, there's a reason uh, that we used Rack City, uh, uh, and it, it wasn't for its lyrical genius, uh, uh, but, but in a sense, it, 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 it does. Uh, we thought it was really um, just a really stark contrast of two visions of a city. We talked about the holy city, heaven, um, the, the city of God. Uh, last week, and that one, and that vision that that was given to us, and then Rack City is a very different vision, right? It's it's a, it's a vision of a city where the dominant take what they want. It's a it's a song that promotes, in my opinion, uh, segregation and and racism and and. Uh, uh, objectifies women as as well objects, right? Of of the strongs, uh, uh, just they're there for the taking, and 
it is, is about as far, as, as far from the holy city that we talked about last week that, that I believe you could possibly come. But, it's, but it is a legitimate vision of how a city should be or the ideal city. And, and I think that, you know, some people said, hey, that, that song doesn't belong in church. I think that's exactly where it belongs. I think that, that you know what? Uh, it is my desire uh, to be able to invade every part of culture and, and, and to, to bring to our minds, hey, you know what? These songs do teach. And, and you know what? They're presenting a vision and, 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 and really to promote conversation out of that and saying, you know what? What vision do I believe in? What vision do I want to sacrifice toward to see become a reality? Do I want to do I want to be part of uh, a male-dominant society that, that, that is known by its strength, either by physical force or, or guns and what you can get away with? Or do I want to be part of a holy city that accepts all the nations and tongues and, and accepts and, and protects and honors those who are not maybe as powerful or is physically strong? So I, I appreciate the conversation. I appreciate the, 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 the concern. But I think, I think it gives us the opportunity to have elevated conversations. And to me, the church needs to engage. And it can be a beautiful thing when we intentionally offend. So... Uh, if you were offended, um, you know, I understand. I get it. Uh, but, uh, you know, we didn't do hymn music with their lyrics. So it could have been worse. <laughs> so this, this week, you know, this week we're, we're taking uh, an additional um, step into really trying to discover the kingdom of heaven and what that really is and what that looks like. Hopefully last, last week we took a huge step in rejecting the fairy tale kind of myth of heaven and hell that is often portrayed. And we had a, we, a better biblical understanding of, of really what the holy city, what heaven is meant to look like and what it really is. This week, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. i got to tell you that, that Matthew 13 has several kingdom of heaven statements in it. And a lot of them are very difficult. It's five different um, parables. Uh, parables are just basically spiritual metaphors or, or similes. And we're going to look at five statements the kingdom of heaven is like from, from Jesus. And some of them have been abused and, and taken out of context, and they uh, kind of promote a single kind of thought. And a lot of times when we do that, we miss the whole point of what Jesus was trying to communicate. One of the dangers that, that happens is we take one of these parables and we say, aha, this is it. But this is taken, this, 
all these kingdom statements must be taken together. And after we go through them, we're going to look at them all together and try to get a better understanding of what Jesus was trying to communicate. But we also need to remember that, that these, these parables uh, are, are given under some, some uh, kind of facts that we know. And one of those is that we know that God is love. And we know in, in John um, chapter 3 and verse 16, and, and you know, every Sunday school kid knows this verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son for those who believe in him and believe in the, in the Greek there is actually believe and follow, believe that he died for our sins and follow him as, as our king and Lord and Savior, that, that we do not need to die but we will have everlasting life. We also know that, that through one of the centralized threads of Scripture is that Christ came for all. And really, the, one of the most beautiful metaphors is that God is a God of invitation. There's, there's parables about, about God who's throwing a banquet, and everyone is invited that he, that he sends out the invitations. And... and but we all know with, with invitation, we've all been invited to stuff, right? Like everybody here has at least got some sort of Facebook invitation, right? I mean, you know, maybe you haven't got a real invitation, but a Facebook, you know, I mean, just got spammed with one. And it's always, it, uh, there's a response, right? You know, well, on Facebook, it's yes, no, or maybe, or just flat out ignore, you know. And, uh, but if you say yes, if you say no, if you say maybe, if you flat out ignore it, it doesn't change the fact that you were invited. And I think when we look at, before we look at these parables, that we need to remember that Christ died for all and that everyone is invited. But we also need to remember that there's two visions out there of, of the ideal city. There's the holy city that hopefully for us here, that that resonates with us, that we want to be uh, eventually in the unbuffered presence of God with every, with every tribe, with every nation, with every tongue, that, that, that we will just be immersed in God's love and acceptance. But that's not the only vision of the city. That isn't a draw to some people. For, for others, it's rack city. You laugh, but that, that, is, that is a vision, and it is a legitimate vision. Every bit is legitimate as the holy city, and somebody has the choice. I want to be part of a male-dominated, uh, uh, where the strong take whatever they want and, and have no consequence. That, that, that resonates with some people and everything that goes along with that. And we as thinking people, we as loving people, that, that we know that relationally we cannot force somebody into the presence of God. And that is not our DNA, and that is not part of, of who God has envisioned us to be. So as we get into this, we need to remember these things. We also need to remember that the kingdom of heaven is a specific thing. That, that the kingdom of heaven, the holy city, is a city that every aspect of it is permeated with the presence of Jesus. 
that, that it is an inclusive place and that, that all who accept the invitation get to go, not because of their, their stature or prestige or how good they were, but because merely they accepted the invitation. And um, so there, there, it's not a sense of pride or, or anything like that, that that allows you to be invited to the banquet. You're invited, being invited to the banquet says more about who God is than who you are or I am. So there, the kingdom of heaven is specific things. And kind of how I was unpacking this in, in my mind is that, that we grab hold of this. This is, a, this is something that, that even the most postmodern among us grab hold to and, and believe that there are things that they, they just are legitimate and they are the way they are, and it doesn't really matter what anybody thinks about it. And one of those kind of watershed moments for me was uh, my mother trying to do something really wonderful for me. You see, I love tiramisu. Love it. Absolutely love it. I just, it is one of the most fantastic just desserts ever known to man or woman. It it is it is perfection, and, and if I if I uh, may speculate, I'm I'm pretty sure that part of heaven will be made out of tiramisu. So, as long as we're you know making up our own heavens, I might as well throw that in there. Uh, but for those of you who do not know this this masterpiece, this culinary masterpiece, that it, tiramisu is is specific things. It's not just whatever the heck you want it to be, right? I mean, it, it has certain, like, that's not milk chocolate, that's dark chocolate. Dark and lovely, just, just, oh, so good. Far superior to the milk chocolate, the dark chocolate is. Uh, also, you know, some people try to pass off uh, kind of that, that um, uh, condensed espresso in that, that is an abomination, saith the Lord, I'm telling you, or at least saith, saith the pastor. Uh, you gotta, you gotta have to have real espresso. Now, you, you gotta pull a long, slow shot on that, but it, I mean, it just, it's gotta be rich and just, yeah, oh, amazing. And, and it also uh, has uh, mascarpone cheese. And this cheese is kind of like, it's like, what cream cheese dreams about being, okay? So my, my mom knew that I, that I, that I love tiramisu, and, and just uh, I was all, all about it. So she decided that she was going to make me this, and that's the way my mom is. She's so awesome. And so uh, she goes to the store, and she's, she's getting all the stuff. She's getting the dark chocolate, you know, that she's going to grate on it, and, and, and she's, you know, getting the espresso and getting all that and, and doing everything. But, but my poor mother, she's kind of like me. You know I mispronounce things all the time, and I'm dyslexic. I, that's all for my mother. Like all her, all her great, great stuff, that, that's, you know, we all have our, our things. And, and, and for her and for me, you know, we get a little confused with the words and, and the letters and everything. Well, instead of getting a, 
uh, marsapone cheese. She actually got Montrachet goat cheese. Now, I want to tell you something. I am all about the goat cheese. I love goat cheese. There's no probably finer cheese out there when used appropriately. In fact, if you go to Thomasville, Georgia, and you go to a restaurant called Moonspin, you could walk in there and you could order a McMoon. Yes, Mark McNeese. It is my namesake pizza. I invented it. I'm just, I'm telling you this, not as a source of pride, even though I am very proud. <laughs> but let me explain this pizza to you. I just, I want to show you that, that I love the goat cheese. Instead of red sauce, because tomatoes are poison, use pesto. Stick with me, pesto. Then, goat cheese, not mozzarella, that's goat cheese. And then, it has mushrooms and spinach and jalapenos. Ah! Because some like it hot, right? And I like it hot. And that is the McMoon. So I'm all about it. But so back to my special dessert that my mom made. And we're all sitting there around. And she takes out and she puts this tiramisu out there. Man, it looks just like that. Like she had the, the, the dark chocolate all, you know, on there and everything. And the espresso and everything. But, you know, so we finally, we take a bite. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, man, goat cheese in that, no good, no good. And it was so sad because my mom, like, she took the first bite and she's, like, selling it. Oh, this is so good. It's so interesting. You know, it's like, it's like, and, and we're sitting there just like, oh. And, and I, I got to tell you, it's like a little bit confession. She's like, what do you guys think? I lied. I'm like, oh, this is, this is. This is, yeah, this is interesting. Yeah, this is, I, I think that's a good word, you know, unique. Uh, and, and thank you. And it took for a while that, that she finally, uh, I think my lovely wife said, can I see the package of the cheese that you used? And, that, and, and that's when it all, all came out and we realized that we were having goat cheese tiramisu. Now, all of this story to, to, to say that it doesn't matter what you think tiramisu should be, goat cheese just doesn't belong, right? It has specific ingredients. It's not a fairy tale thing. Somebody, some genius should be a saint, Saint Tiramisu, <laughs> made it, and it is something that, that, that is identifiable and tangible. So, when Jesus starts in, he, you know, he's, he's using these, uh, these five parables, these five spiritual metaphors or, or similes to explain something. Now, before I get into the Scripture, in using of these, of these parables, it matters how you approach them. You see, parables, metaphors, similes are not written as technical owner's manuals. You can't take it like that. And, and, you know, owner's manuals are great for, like, computers. Like, I don't want a metaphor to learn how to use my computer. Could you imagine, like, opening it up and you're like, 
Is it like, imagine if you'd never seen a computer before and, it, and, and you know, you get, the, you get the book first. And you open up the book and, and it starts saying like, your new computer is like a window to the world, powered by fire in the sky, lightning, you know. And it's like a spider web that touches all humanity. Like you'd be like, Get this out of my house. This sounds like terrible. It sounds weird. No, we want our technical manuals to say, plug the stupid thing in and it better work or we'll be uh, upset. Now, Jesus is trying to explain something that nobody had ever seen and he's speaking into the heart language. And, And at some point, all metaphors break down, right? That, that you can't just say, oh, okay, you know, this is this and this is this. And, and on every level of this, of this metaphor, of, of this simile, this is what is meant. No. What is being trying to be conveyed is something that had never been seen and can't be understood in just mere technical terms. And what Jesus is trying to do is build each one of these parables, each one of, of these uh, these. Uh, of these imagery-based stories to convey a greater understanding of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And one thing that we're going to notice in these five is that some of them are talking about the future, and some of them are talking about now. And then makes us start wondering, huh, so the kingdom of heaven is the future, but it is also now. So, Man, that was a long on-ramp, right? I had a pastor friend say that the sermon meter doesn't start until the text is read. So get your stopwatches ready. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, first kingdom statement. The kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field. But that night as the worker slept, his enemy came and planted weeds, not weed, weeds, among the wheat, then slipped away. When the crop began to grow and produce grain, the weeds also grew. Check this next part out. The farmer's workers went to him and said, sir, the field where you planted the good seed is full of weeds. Where did it come from? An enemy has done this, the farmer exclaimed. Should we pull out the weeds, they asked? This is brilliant. This is so... Remember, Jesus is trying to explain the kingdom of heaven. No. No. He replied, you'll uproot the wheat, the good seed, the, the, the valuable if you do. Let them both grow until the harvest. Then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them into bundles, and burn them, and put them in the uh, put the wheat in the barn. Okay, so here we have the, the the first parable, the first kind of step into kind of understanding what the kingdom of heaven is, and I believe this 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 parable is really talking about belonging. It's talking about something that is and something it is not. You see, I think it's, it's my personal 
just personality, and, and I'm sure many of yours, that we want to make everything okay. We want people to accept the invitation, but if they don't, we say, well, you know, it, it's all right. You know, it's okay. But we don't accept that or hold on to that in any other aspect of life. You see, here's some wheat bread. And I love wheat bread. Wheat bread's good. And, but that's what's in it. What makes it wheat bread is wheat. And if you replace the wheat and you ground weeds into it, none of us would eat it. It just is a reality. It's not that there's no hate, there's no malice. It's just some things have certain ingredients that make them what they are. Jesus unpacks this parable after the, the crowds were leaving outside. The disciples are like, dude, Jesus, we have no idea what you're talking about. He says, look, let me unpack this for you. He doesn't unpack it all, but he unpacks most of it. He says, the son of man is the farmer who plants the good seed, Jesus. The field is the world, what we live in. And the good seed represents the people of the kingdom. Not the good people, not the bad people, just the people who accepted the invitation. Lots of bad people accept the invitation. It's not a question of morality. It is a, talk, it is a question of accepting forgiveness and the invitation. The weeds are the people who belong to the evil one. Basically, you know what? Again, it's sad a lot of us don't understand it, but the vision of Rack City resonates with people. It just does. It may be despicable to some of us in here, but it is a choice that some people make. The enemy who planted the weeds among the wheat is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world. Now here we have this. This is a future parable. This is saying, hey, the kingdom of heaven is this, this future thing that is, that is going to happen, that there's going to be this final kind of resolution to the story of Israel. There is going to be, remember last week we talked about the ideal state uh, in the garden, but the ideal state wasn't a garden. The ideal state was the unbuffered presence of God. And that is our hope. That, that, that Christ will come back and usher in the, this, the, the new Jerusalem, this holy city. And then this next thing, and the harvesters are the angels. Now, I was really struck by this, and, and he's going to echo this parable in, in the fifth uh, kingdom statement. What's the responsibility of the seed? To grow. To grow. Whose responsibility is it to sort out the weeds 
and the wheat. The workers, the angels is the metaphor. The harvesters, the angels. It's not our responsibility. It's not our call. And we should fall on our knees and thank God that it's not up to us. It just isn't. Jesus says it here and he'll, he'll say it again. Your job is to grow. Your job is, is, and we'll see in the next one, is to be a blessing and be my ambassador. So you are not the final judge. And you know what? You don't want that responsibility. You don't want that text, hey, we need you to, to judge so-and-so. Because that is just beyond who we are and what we're meant to do. The next kingdom statement is this. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in the branches. All right, here we have the kingdom of heaven. That's now. This is... You know, in, in this, those of us, we are again the seed here, and, and we're small. We're tiny. And the seed can be our obedience, our, our, our faithfulness, our, our, our sacrifice. And the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God and what he's trying to say is no matter how small, if you do it in my name, if you give somebody a cup of water in my name, name, that I will multiply that. I will supernaturally multiply that into a big old honking tree. And you know what? It's not only going to be a big tree, but there's going to be collateral blessing because of it. I love this, that, that this little act of kindness, this little act of obedience turns into this, this tree that not only changes the landscape, but also provides Shelter and a home and protection and even probably food from the insects, you know, for the birds. Now, we're not talking literally about birds, are we? We're talking about people, people who have been invited. And how beautiful is that a picture of the, of the kingdom of God is, uh, that, that is so small and as a mustard seed and, and when entrusted to God and done in God's name that it grows up to be this, this great plant that, that blesses those around it. Third kingdom statement. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman uses to make bread. Even though she puts only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeates every part of the dough. So here's another kingdom statement. And this kingdom statement is, is again, talking about the here and the now, that the kingdom is here and now, and we are part of that kingdom. Those of us who have accepted the invitation of the king. And, and basically... What they're saying is, what Jesus is saying here is like, you guys know matzah? And they're like thinking, you know, matzah, matzah is, is basically the only time that you probably see matzah is on communion Sunday, right? Because 
Like masa, it's like a poor excuse for a cracker. I mean, it's not even a good cracker. In fact, they try to they try to jazz up the matzah. Like this one's lightly salted, which you're gonna salt something, salt it, you know, right? Uh, uh, they have they have uh, garlic matzah. They have egg flavored matzah. So uh, some lady took offense to my disparaging remarks about the lowly matzah this morning. And she came up to me and she says, I love matzah. And I'm like, really? You just eat matzah? And she's like, no, I put cream cheese on it. And then I put salmon and onions and, and all, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, sounds like you're using the matzah as a fork. You know, uh, it has nothing, like all those things are awesome, right? You know, it has nothing to do with a matzah. You know, it's all those other things like, like yams or something. People, I hate yams. Like, I don't want yams anywhere near me. And people are like, oh, yams are good if you put, like, all the sugar on it and marshmallows and cream and everything. You know what else is really good? All that stuff without the yams. Put it on some apple pie or something. Now we're talking high five, right? You know, so here we have, you know, this, this, this kind of this idea that Jesus is saying a little bit of yeast. What does a little bit of yeast do? It takes the lowly matzah and turns it into nice fluffy bread, you know. And, and one of my favorite sandwiches in the world is a hot pastrami on rye. Man, I love that. All of that. We're going to talk a lot about food today. And I, I just, I absolutely love that. But I have never thought until this week to have a hot pastrami and matzah. Like, who does that? Nobody, because matzah's awful. <laughs> and... And Jesus is saying, you know that lousy matzah I make you eat on the first Sunday, you know, and all that kind of stuff? Dude, the kingdom of heaven is like fluffy bread. Like, you're coming home, and, and, and mom, his, his or grandma has been in there, and she's been cooking bread, and you know, you, you, you smell that bread. That's a spiritual experience, right? Yeah, that's worship. And you, you, get that, you get that bread, and it's warm in your hands, and it just, it, just, it, it just touches your senses, and it makes you feel welcome and, and accepted and loved. You know, nobody's ever walked in, oh, I just love the smell of matzah. Oh, makes, makes me feel, I, I know, they probably feed it to prisoners or something. I mean, it's a bad food. But Jesus is saying, you know, look. The principle here that Jesus is trying to purvey or, or, or to convey is that this li- the kingdom of heaven is like this little bit of yeast that, that transforms what is quite useless into something magical and wonderful and alluring and accepting. Next kingdom statement. Next kingdom statement is... is Basically, two statements in one, two for one. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovers hidden in a field. In his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovers a pearl of great value, he sold everything and he owned, that he owned and he bought it. 
Now, what is the kingdom of heaven like? What is, what is Jesus trying to communicate here? Well, it's trying to communicate that, you know what, the kingdom of heaven, that there's a sacrificial choice that needs to be made. And everyone who's ever been come, become a follower of Christ has to make this choice. Who is going to be the Lord of your life? Is it going to be you? Is it, is it going to be a book? Is it going to be, what, what is it going to be? Is it going to be your career? Is, is it going to be your car? What, what, what is it going to be? And the kingdom of heaven costs. You know, Jesus wasn't like trying to woo followers when he said, pick up your cross daily. Like that was an image of like, whoa, can't believe he went there. He went there, you know, kind of kind of thing. Like that was this imagery that, that just blew people away. You know, we, we've all heard about the wide road and the narrow road. You know why it's the narrow road? Nobody takes it. It's hard. And this is what he's trying to say is, you know what? You want to change the world? It's not a thing of convenience. You want to follow Christ? You're not just going to happen to follow Christ. You see, you know, loving people is hard. Loving people you love is hard. Try loving your enemy. Talk about that's a high bar. Thanks, Jesus. Come on. You don't just fall into it. It requires saying, you know what? I am going to die daily. And even though I don't feel like it, even though it, it doesn't seem like what I want to do, or even it doesn't make sense, you know what? I am going to give everything to God and ask Him to multiply it. And I'm going to relentlessly pursue who God is and what he wants for me in this life. Final kingdom statement. The kingdom of heaven is like a fishing net that was thrown into the water and caught fish of every kind. When the net was full, they dragged it onto the shore sat down and sorted the good fish into crates, but threw the bad ones away. That is what it'll be like at the end of the world. So, okay, got a future look here. The angels will come and separate the wicked people from the righteous, throwing the wicked into the fiery furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, this is just a reality statement. This is, this is blowing up the fairy tale heaven picture and the fairy tale hell picture. Jesus is saying, look, I'm talking about something that's real, that's tangible, the kingdom of heaven. And you know what? When I came to the south, I was introduced to two marvelous fishes. Fish, fishes, fish. Fish. One is the grouper. Man, like, there's a lot of great things about living in SoCal. But, man, you guys got it going on with that grouper thing. Let me tell you. The grouper is awesome. Blacken me a grouper, throw that on some salad, and now we're talking. You know, you follow that up with some tiramisu, hold the goat cheese, and we're rocking like docking, right? And, you know, it's a beautiful thing. There's another fish, though, that you guys have that is 
just ridiculous. Like the thing, I have nightmares about it. It's the gar. Like this is an atheist best, you know, kind of uh, argument against God, right? The, the, the gar. You know, anybody ever eat a gar here? You ever know what a gar is? Go down to Wakola Springs. I remember the first time I went to Wakola Springs, and, and uh, uh, we're in the boat, right? And we're, we're going around, and, and uh, the guy, the guide, I guess you would say, we're going along, and we start seeing all these, those things swimming around. And, like, people are just swimming a few feet away from them, too. And, and we're like, what is that? He's like, oh, that's a gar. I'm like, a gar? Like an alligator? And he's like, no, it's a gar. It's a fish. No fish I ever want to catch or eat or even want near me. And, you know, the, basically, this is the image. You know, it's just intellectually dishonest to say that a gar and a grouper are the same thing. They just aren't. It's not being mean. It's not being hateful. I'm sure the gar has a purpose and it, and it can be a good fish. You put it back on the grouper. But no grouper. That's just a cool fish, right? I mean, I love everything about that fish. I kiss it right on the lips. So you take these five kingdom statements, right? What do they look like all together? And I think that we don't get a complete picture of the kingdom of heaven, but we get another glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. The first one, I believe, the kingdom of heaven, what Jesus is trying to say, the kingdom of heaven is about belonging. Belonging to, to a part of a family. And just like every family, some people belong to it and some people don't. doesn't mean that you don't want other people around. It doesn't mean that you're hateful. There's just the reality that some things belong. Mar Mascarpone cheese belongs in tiramisu. Goat cheese does not. It's as simple as that. But it's also as heart-wrenching as we're not talking about cheese, are we? We're talking about people. The next one, the kingdom of heaven is meant to be a blessing, not a curse. I know that the religion of Christianity has been a curse in a lot of different places, but that's not the vision that God has for his followers. And when people bring that up, you ask for forgiveness and say, that is not what my Lord taught. And would you like to hear about the love of my God? Kingdom of heaven changes what it touches for the better, just like yeast going from matzah to fluffy bread. The kingdom of heaven requires choice and sacrifice. It just does. Everything of value requires choice and sacrifice. So why shouldn't the most valuable thing require the most? And the final thing is that the kingdom of heaven completes the story of Israel. And brings back creation to its ideal state. And that is the unbuffered unpuffer, presence of a holy God. And God is holy. God is absolutely pure. 
and no impurity can be part of the holy city or it would no longer be a holy city. Last thing. Jesus said to his disciples, do you understand all these things? Yes, they said, we do. They were lying. They did not. Just read the rest of the Bible. It's like a manifesto of getting it wrong. But nor do I, and neither do you. We don't understand everything about God. But this is really cool, what he adds. It says, every teacher of religious law who becomes a disciple in the kingdom of heaven, I'm pausing there on purpose, not like usually one of my other pauses. All of us, anybody who's ever had an elevated conversation about spirituality as a teacher, that our conversations teach And those of us who are followers of Christ, that Jesus is speaking to every one of us, and this is what he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, this is a bonus one, a homeowner who brings from his storeroom, listen to this, this is so cool, new gems of truth as well as old. What's Jesus saying the kingdom of heaven is like there? He's saying, you know what? Truth is truth, and everything that, that I have taught you is only scratch the surface. In fact, for the rest of your life, you are understanding, if you, if you are a disciple and you seek that, that God's love, His infinite love, will continue to expand and you will continue to be exposed to new gems of truth about how loving and beautiful and just God is. I got a beautiful note um, from an 85-year-old woman who goes to our church this week. And I, I'm going to share this. It meant a lot to me, but it Hopefully it means a lot to you too, and I'll explain why. She said also, because you said stuff before, but that's personal, so you can't read it. Thank you for giving me, 85 years old, thank you for giving me lots of new ways to look at timeless truths. My mind keeps remembering during the week what I heard on Sunday. 85 years old. Been walking with the Lord like literally like decades before I was even a glimmer in my dad's eye. I mean, this is a woman of God. And, and okay, I got to do totally like, whoa, that's cool. Like, I, like she wrote that note to me and I didn't even have to like bend her arm back or something. Like she just wrote that. But this is why, why it's cool for all of us. Like for me, I'm, I'm 42, she's 85. She's got twice as much life experience as me. For most of you, she has four times the life experience. She's probably walking with the Lord four times as long than anybody else in this, in this room. And she is still discovering new wonders about God. You see, we will never get to a place 
when we are part of the kingdom of heaven and say, I understand it all. I got it all wired. No. We will always be in wonder because that is what is part of following an infinite, loving God. You know what the cool thing is? Someday when we are in the holy city, God is so infinite that it will take eternity plus some for us ever to fully comprehend how loving and great He really is. As my friend Stratton would say, that'll preach. You guys pray with me? Dear God, thank you for this time, these parables, these spiritual metaphors, similes. Man, they're hard. But thank you that we're in community and thank you that we have smaller groups to be able to get together and really unpack this stuff. Not that we'll fully understand it, not even that we want that but just to have elevated conversations and learn from one another and be challenged by one another and grow together closer into your likeness so we can be loving ambassadors of you, giving invitations for everyone to come enjoy the banquet, come and enjoy the party. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.